All right, y'all ready? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, it's already started. Come on, open it up. Uh, mine didn't even make a sound. Now I'm scared to drink it. Oh, man. Oh, because uh, I'm like botulism? No. Oh, okay, so <laughs> here's the skinny. I had this Flander Sour Ale, red brown. That doesn't sound good to begin with. No. Tucked in the back of fields. My, yeah. <laughs> tucked in the back of my fridge. And so I pulled it out to drink it. And it's it smells really bad. Yeah, I don't think. I, I, I don't oh, think you oh no! This. Neil came running out of the bedroom to tell me that this was his from Jeremy. So I'm gonna set it aside and let him keep it. Just put the little spout in it. He sounded like a ghost child with oh, a problem okay. in the background. Is what I really got from that conversation. <laughs> That's because he went like this. He went, "It was me. <laughs> it was me." Okay, let's try it again. Here we go and. That was a little bit better. All right, this is the Lagunitas Cherry Jane Sour Ale. Fine. I'm drinking uh, a Heavenly Body Golden Wheat from Wellbeing Brewing, a non-alcoholic beer for this day cast. Excellent. Amelia, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Lake Effect Brewing Company's Super Beer, which was made in conjunction with Superdog, the excellent hot dog restaurant. Excellent. (laughs) Awesome. So our listeners may be like, who this bitch? And I'm going to tell them right now. Allison is having a um, problem at her house where they are working on the apartment upstairs from her, and it's very loud. So she can't be here to record with us since we all have to record remotely from where we live in this, our time of social isolation. So she set up the cast, and today's co-host is Amelia Bazell. I'm back, baby. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amelia, for jumping in at the last minute. Of course. Love an excuse to have beer in the day. Hell yeah. Um, I like any excuse for beer, and I don't. we haven't reached that weird, awkward point where I have to do the introduction. Aaron, tell us something that happened to you today. <laughs> um, I am grading finals, and I am like 80% positive that someone uh, turned in a um, plagiarized final that they had someone else write. It's like someone it's someone that I've been like following. I've been like looking at, at their papers for a while. And, you know, in, in Word documents, you can go to see like who authored it or who owns the paper. Who oh, like, my God. And so, like, I first time I saw it, I was like, "This isn't quite the assignment." And then I like looked in and like, you know, was like, "Well, there's no owner," and her email is the last uh, one. Uh, their email is the last one to like make a suggestion. So okay, and I've kind of been following this through time. I was like, "This is not adding up. This doesn't. I, I have no proof, but I think these are plagiarized." And then this last one uh, came through, and there is a completely different owner on the document. <gasps> Um, what? Like their email is still on there as the pers- as the p- people who made like the last revision, but there is this is completely someone else's contact information inside of this, or I should say name, not contact information. And I, but again, I don't have enough proof to show that this is actually plagiarism because maybe they had to use someone else's computer to write this, or like because like you know things are super crazy right now and mm-hmm. everything's online and yada yada. But I'm I'm just looking. I just looked at it and read it. They got a really bad grade. I was just like, you know, you didn't pass this class, so like, there's no need for me to go beyond this. But man, the you never showed up to class. You kept, you get even after I like kind of called you out, but didn't call you out. You didn't fix yourself. Like, man, this is the cojones on you, man. Goodness gracious! Wow. Yeah. And welcome to Podlander Drunkcast and Outlander <laughs> Podcast. I'm hey. Julie. I'm Amelia. And that's Janine. Hey. And. uh... That's terrible. That person sucks. <laughs> I mean, college is stressful. I get it, but good grade. Come on, though. What are yeah. you learning? Uh, whatever. And now True. I sound like an old woman. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I've leaned into that. When I'm in class and like I make a pop culture joke, that's not pop culture anymore because it's from the 90s. <laughs> I'm still making jokes from the 80s. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> all right. Well, today, as you know, we're all recording remotely, and Amelia is our lovely guest host today. We're discussing... Disgusting. Sorry. <laughs> well, there's a lot of shit in this episode. It's there, disgusting. You know what? There is a lot of poop. Yeah. Uh, is it this really? is Outlet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll hear. Outlander uh-huh. season five, episode six. Better to marry than to burn. Oh gosh. It's the episode title. Um, 
Allison and I were very excited in the crowdcast yesterday when we watched the episode because in the episode warnings, it did say strong sexual content. Hey. So we were like primed and ready. You'll hear how that turned out later. Yeah. And then um, the little uh, uh, pre-credits thing is a fancy pants, like super... Uh, foppy guy getting his wig dusted and I don't know if you know this Janine but back in the day they used to have these face shields that they put over their face while their people were powdering their wigs to keep the powder from getting in their face. That's like and, completing a picture that I didn't know existed but yeah that makes sense. <laughs> and I gotta tell you that I don't, I'm sure it was a coincidence because this was obviously filmed a long time ago before what is happening is happening uh, but the mm. mask that he uses looks exactly like a very fancy kind of cloth version of one of those old school black plague bird yes, masks. No yes. Kidding. Oh wow. Oh yeah, it was weird. Oh yeah. I I keep wondering like I'm, I'm starting to see like fashion articles about like what this experience is doing to fashion and like how people face are masks cool. everywhere, baby. Yeah, dude. And like you know, it's not just like medical face masks. Like you know, pe- and I think. Uh, I feel like someone in our network like put a que- uh, put a question out there like I have a sewing machine, can I make things for hospitals or like face masks or something like that? I'm oh like, yeah, I, there are several people on my Facebook feed who are doing that right now, and so they're like, asking everybody who has like high thread count cotton and to donate or drop off, or they'll come pick it up at your curb. Yeah, that's people, great. People who can sew are making them. So maybe we're coming back to powdered wig. Face mask times, but it it was weird though because Allison and I were both like, "Oh, playing doctor." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we find out that that was no plague doctor. Mm-mm. That was maybe a human personification of the plague. Yeah, mm. the plague is toxic masculinity. Yeah. We've we've always known this. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. We, we find Spot that on. out very specifically later. Okay, <laughs> oh, so we open up, and we're getting some nice Highland. Porn, and there is a title card that helpfully helpfully tells us that we're in Scotland in 1746. So this is a while ago, and there's a carriage fucking coming down this road so fast, hauling ass, yeah, just super hauling ass for a carriage. And they get pulled over by two red red coats, and you find out that this carriage is running away from Culloden. Oh, so I don't know if the battle is happening or just happened, but it's current either just passed or happening right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this British dude gets out, or so we think. <laughs> and he's like, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad we came across. We're trying to get away. We're trying to get out of Scotland. A sight for and sore gotta- eyes. Yeah, a sight yeah. for sore eyes. Those coats, those coats. And he's those got coats. a really... Really posh British accent, and you. But you can tell that his uh, the guy driving the carriage is a little shifty, like kind of looking around, like so it doesn't feel one hundred percent. And then the red coats are like, anybody else in the carriage? We gotta know because we gotta search the carriage. And he's like, just my wife and uh, her sister. Does he say her sister or her daughter or what does he say? I think he says daughter. Yeah. And so we look inside the carriage, and who is it? It's Jocasta. Oh, what? Young Jocasta. And first of all, yes, young Jocasta, not blind either. Oh. And she's with a teenage girl, uh, and they, the guy's like, darling, and he looks her right in the eye, and Jocasta looks at the girl and really quietly whispers, not a word. And so they get out of the carriage and are just standing there. And the redcoats search the carriage. They don't find anything. They're like, okay, be on your way, be on your way. And then... (sighs) What? What? The lack of sensible footwear in the past. Just terrible. The fucking worst. So this little girl, this 16-year-old, starts to make her way back to the carriage and steps right in an enormous cow turd or horse turd or something. Just her foot goes like three quarters deep into just a nugget of just poop. Gross. And the uh, one of the redcoats is, oh, here, let me help you, like trying to be nice to her. And he leans down, and then he sees underneath the carriage there's a lockbox under there on the back axle. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, shitty. So he goes over there, and he gets it, and he opens it up. And what is inside but a fuck ton of, of French gold. Yeah. Stuart gold. 
So that yeah. means it was on its way to help the Scottish people. Remember how France was backing Prince oh, Charlie, yeah. Bonnie yeah. Prince Deucebag? And so the Redcoats are all like, no, nah, no. Nah. And he, they start to try to arrest them. And this guy, does he just pull out a gun? Where does he get the gun, Amelia? I think he, yeah, I think he pulls it out from like his waistcoat or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he shoots the red coat that he's facing, not the one that was helping the girl. Yeah. He shoots him. And then he can tell that this guy behind him is about to turn around. So he turns around without looking kind of blindly and shoots where he thinks the red coat is. Oh, when the no. red coat. Oh, fuck. He killed his daughter. Oh, my God. There's no. a big blood splatter. Like, that's what happened. Like, we look up and there's all this blood on the red coat, but it's not his blood. Oh, that's no. fucking horrible. It's the teen daughter's blood. And then this man gets Jocasta back into the carriage and she's keening and like wailing and very upset. So oh, it was man. indeed Jocasta's daughter. This story will come back later very, very strongly. <laughs> also, the, for me, the worst part of that scene is in that moment when you see the blood spatter on the red coat and you aren't sure like who's been shot yet, you mm-hmm. hear this really like airy raspy gasp. And what I've, I watched the scene a few times now. I can't tell if that is the daughter, like having her like <sighs> dying breath or if that's Jocasta who already has been acting the shit out of everything, like having like that really pained realization. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's something about that, like that, ambiguity that is just like really haunting oh man me. either yeah. either direction too i just got like goosebumps kind yeah. of imagining that experience oh, yeah. so wow. first of all it was very yeah. action-packed scene good scene secondly we've learned more about jocasta in this three minutes than we knew <laughs> previously <laughs> for yeah. forever so there's it's a little hint into her past which as i said comes back very very strongly later and this seems like a strong open it is. Yes. And you, this episode was not my favorite. This episode felt a little filler to mm-hmm. me. Um, like they're trying to get from point A to point B. And then there's also this, uh, and I'll discuss it later. I, I had a really hard time with Claire's reaction to something later that seemed way out of bounds. And I was like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So I had a couple of quibbles. But this mm. part and then the other Jocasta part that we'll talk about later are both great. Oh, my God. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, I'm trying to see if any of my notes were funny then, cause that what really was not a funny scene. Oh, I did say, oh shit, literally. <laughs> cause she stepped in it. Uh, you did okay. Oh, uh, and at the end of the scene, we see that she pulls this blue ribbon off of her daughter. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember this from other times, but sometimes you see Jocasta now, you know, at River Run, she's older, she's blind. She's got this blue ribbon that she plays with in her hands all the time. That's her daughter's ribbon. Oh, man. Yeah, woof. Oh, heart-wrenching. Goodness gracious. So it cuts to Jocasta in her bedroom, kind of stroking that ribbon, obviously having the memory of what happened to her. And the guy she's about to marry, McInnes, is it Duncan McInnes? Is that his name? I know his name is like... (laughs) Yes. Might as, might as well be. Sure. Might his, as well be. his last name is McInnes for sure. And he's just kind of a, a nice, boring, older man. And, you know, we know that she's in love with Murtaugh but can't marry him and that this is the safe choice and she's just trying to protect River Run and, you know, all the political reasons and power reasons why a woman might get married to somebody she didn't give a shit about back in the day. or An economic <laughs> proposition, as we <laughs> learned in Little Women. Exactly, or, or any day, frankly. Yeah. And he, but see, it's kind of sad, though. He's a little bit of a sorrow in my heart because he very obviously likes her and respects yeah. her. And he comes to her bedroom to give her a gift, and it's a little pillow that's filled with lavender, and it has the, is it the Fitzgibbons? Or the, the McKenzie. Thank you. The McKenzie's family motto on it, which is, I shine, I don't burn. Hmm. Okay, so that also comes back. So he gives her this little pillow, and it's very sweet. And he's he's being kind of solicitous and nice to her, and she's like, get out. Yep. <laughs> so you can tell she just does not give yeah. a shit about this dude. And is this the part where, like, Ulysses can tell that she doesn't give a shit about him and just was like, I'm going to do you a solid. Um, your nephew's here. Sorry, bro. Yeah, you gotta, gotta go. Yeah, gotta go. And what was it that he says something or he sighs and she she says, "You think I don't know how you feel? I I can't hear how you feel about him. Do you really think I cannot feel the look you were giving that poor man? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's what she says. And Ulysses is like, "I just want you to be happy." And she's like, 
meh, happiness doesn't have shit to do with it. All right, take me downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. is yeah. a badass. Jesus. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, why did I write this note, Amelia? What? An island in the stream that was in that scene. Oh, yes. I'm possibly reviewing closed captioning while we go through the episode. <laughs> That's fine. It, does she say it about her dad? She says it about, oh, I think it has something to do with the motto. Yeah, it has something to do with I shine up, burn like all the yeah. Mackenzies are in hell or something, and I'm an island in the stream. And I was like, R.I.P. Kenny Rogers. God, seriously. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're downstairs in the sumptuous and well-appointed living room of River Run with uh, Jamie and Billy Boyd. Hey. <laughs> I forgot his character's name. I don't know. It's second breakfast. Yeah, second breakfast. He's one of those rich <laughs> guys that kind of like is in Jocasta's orbit. I don't know. Maybe he's her lawyer or accountant or something that would make sense as to why he was there, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So what they are doing is signing a document that essentially puts Jocasta into like the regency of River yeah. Run. Like she gets to run it until she dies. This is basically to protect her from Duncan Ennis taking it. Mm-hmm. And that upon her death, it will be uh, inherited by Jemmy. That's Jamie's grandson. That's uh, Roger and Bree's son. Yes. Okay. The baby baby. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, there, Jocasta's all like, hi, hi, yeah, I'll sign it, sweet. And then Jamie signs it, and we get to see all the pretty, like, there's a, a moment that I love here, which is she's sitting, she finds the chair, you know, she knows how to move around her own house, and she sits down, and then she's about to sign, and she just does this very subtle thing with her hand where she just, like, leans it off to one side so that Ulysses can put the quill right in it. Ugh. Wow. And I'm just like, oh, God, the, Maria Doyle Kennedy, that's her name, right? She's so mm-hmm. fucking good. And it was just that little moment that is just going to get paid off so hard later. Ooh. Yep, 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 yep. So she um, signs away yeah. River Run to her grandnephew. Is that what he would be? Yes. Is that even a thing? It's, it's one of those, Coats. like, removals or seconds or whatever. Something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really stands out to me in this scene is we see, like, Jocasta has this beautiful, measured uh, signature, like, you know, don't need to see you to have that muscle memory. And mm-hmm. then we see Jamie's signature, <laughs> which looks like a, like a seventh grader, so, like, saw their first, I don't know, Lord of the Rings movie and now wants to try to, like, make their own facsimile documents or something. And it makes me crazy for so many reasons. But among them is, okay, so Jamie used to produce a newspaper. He used to, like, typeset that newspaper. In today's parlance, like, he would basically be a graphic designer. And so they like, have a graphic designer who had been really successful have just, like, the shittiest, weirdest-looking signature just I will never forgive and I will never forget. I'm, if I may offer some solace. Please. My husband's signature, speaking of turds, it just is a hot mess. <laughs> like you would, if you saw it, you would never be able to see that it was words. So he has terrible handwriting. You know, in some circles, people think of me as their designer and some, and they're very weird circles if they're thinking me of that way. And I have horrible handwriting. And horrible Neil handwriting. loves a keyboard. Yeah. He's great at typing. He, it's his preferred method. So maybe the typesetting is where Jamie shines because the letters are already made for him. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's Problem like, solved. You solved yeah. it. It's like ch- uh, painting, by, <laughs> painting by numbers. It was like, I'm a painter. <laughs> Show me the number. But every time he signs something, he could feel me. Like if I'm there watching him, he could just feel my asshole clinch up because I'm just like, damn, that's just illegible. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, and okay. then we flash back to Fraser's Rich where uh, Roger and Bree are holding it down, right? Yep. And Adzo, the cute-ass, cutie-cute-cute cat, <laughs> brings in a dead locust. Oh. Is it a locust or is it a grasshopper? I mean, I thought it was a grasshopper, but then maybe they couldn't get any, like, locust actors for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was a grasshopper because it made me think of a grasshopper. I, you know what? Hey, Janine. What's up? Since you're our um, research guy. I got you. Will you just do an image of a locust and tell us if it looks like a, a neon green uh How about I do locust uh, grasshopper? North Carolina? Yeah, do that. North Carolina. So Adzo brings it in and drops it on the ground like he's all cute as hell, because he is. 
And Brianna's like, oh, look, he brought us a present. And then Roger looks outside and he sees like some crawling on the window and like some on the deck. Yeah. And he's like, uh, maybe not a present. So guess what we're going to be treated to? Plague. plague. <laughs> well, so plague the, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking it up, but I can want to say that there is a locust North Carolina. <laughs> like a town? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that could be really representative, maybe. Uh, locust. Sorry, I'm still looking at Okay. You it's all going. good. They yeah. look like grasshoppers, but they might be locusts. I don't know. I've never actually seen a locust. I've seen a locust, and they're massive. And I think the difference between a locust and a grasshopper is um, locusts tend to be in groups. So if it acts... Oh, so, then these are locusts, I then guess. These are locusts, yeah. Totally. So... We see just a few out on the deck, and Roger and Brie are like, fuck. <laughs> so we know what's coming to Old Fraser's Ridge. And then we, we flash, we go back to, I got to tell you, and I complained about this in an episode before, but I, the rapid flash back and forth between two plots, I understand that that's like a way to maximize time, but sometimes it's so frustrating. Yeah. Because I really want to stay with one story a little bit longer than they give us a lot of the time, regardless. Goes back to River Run. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but this is the day before Jocasta and Gavin McInnes, Duncan McInnes, Gavin, whatever. Whatever. The The day before they're going to get married. Okay. So there are a whole bunch of motherfuckers at River Run. We got the governor. We got his saucy wife. We've got all the local ladies. We've got Coinface. You know, we've got like everybody who is anybody in colonial North Carolina. (laughs) It's a who's who. And Jocasta has really turned it out. They set up a dance floor in her front yard. So it's this enormous wood floor with like this arbor of flowers and shit. She got some money. And a chandelier in the middle. Oh, yeah. Outside? Yes. And an orchestra is just casually playing. Gosh. I'm just telling you, Jocasta's fucking got money. Yeah. Damn. I, I also to wrote down, there's, we see a zoom in on a tower of a mix of both real fruits and glass fruits, mm-hmm. which will be hilarious if people get wasted later. <laughs> Crunch. <laughs> yeah. Ah. So then we see the dance floor. We see some doing some fucking reel or whatever the fuck it is they did back then. And there's one dance partner who's getting a super workout and it's coin face because all the eligible ladies are all over coin face i mean understandable yeah right he's smoking hot and he's an eligible bachelor bachelor for life (laughs) and then some dude named this is my favorite name that i've heard this season and we only hear about it for like two seconds Quincy Arbuckle. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a fun name. Yeah. Quincy Arbuckle is some, like, middle-aged dude who gets really pissed off at some slight that happens. And, like, he's like, I'm going to fight you or I throw my glove at your feet or some shit gauntlet crap. Speaking of toxic masculinity. (laughs) And storms off into the rest of the meadow. So everybody has a little, ooh, oh, Quincy Arbuckle always turns into a turd at weddings or something. (laughs) (laughs) This is his shtick. Yeah. His shtick is turdy. I'm sure, I don't know what that was about. Was that important, Amelia? I'm, or, I'm, again, I'm, I'm consulting the closed captioning, but I don't think so. I do think it's just a throwaway, like, nah, that guy's always an asshole. Yeah, dude's gonna dude, because gonna dude. dudes, dudes dude a lot in this dude episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, here appears Governor Tryon and his kind of smoking at hot wife. And they're talking about how Governor Tryon has enacted a new law that Jamie has not heard about yet because he lives out in the woods, right? So he hasn't been around civilization or whatever. And it's a, it's called the Riot Act. And I think that this is real, oh, right? Oh, yeah, that's This a... happened in colonial America. It's basically to keep people from gathering in groups of 10 or more. Yeah, yeah. this was, that was, a, that was like one of the key, in, uh, key Incitements. laws. Yeah, mm-hmm. that like put us towards the, uh, in the revolution, yeah. So oh, he started, he, he enacted the riot law, riot act, and he's, ta- he's talking to Jamie about it, and Jamie's like, you know, doing that thing where he starts thinking about his relationship to Murtaugh and how he's going to walk this tight wire again and again, where he kind of looks into the middle distance, but a little bit down, and his eyebrows go up and down. 
Does anybody sp- notice that he does this every single time? <laughs> it's very specific. I can see it in my head. He, he does it. Yeah. It's like he doesn't want the person he's talking to to understand that he's thinking about something else, but we can all tell that everybody knows he's thinking about something else. <laughs> it's like... And then... It's like oh. transparently secret. Transparent yes, exactly. Secrets. Ooh, I'm, I'm not secretive at all because I'm going to respond to you vocally with something very anodyne and normal like, oh, you don't say. But my face is like, what the fuck am I going to do? Uh, and then we also find out that Governor Trine and his wife are going to leave for New York. Oh. That comes back in a minute, but we just get a little niblet of that information right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Then we flash back to Fraser's Ridge for a hot second. And now all the settlers on Fraser's Ridge are starting to flip the fuck out about all the bugs, yo. They're not happy. They're not happy. Getting all up in his face. They're like, we're going to set fire to the crops. We're going to set fire to everything. And Roger's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Just imagine what happens if the wind turns. Your entire house will go up in flames. Like, they're they're just... um, just really freaking out about it, right? And starting to get into that panic edge. And one of them, one of these guys, and I, I didn't even think to give these two dudes nicknames, but we'll call them the Panic Twins because they're <laughs> two kind of very obviously Scottish dudes, like middle-aged or young, like 30s, 40-year-old dudes that have like um, red hair pulled back, but they're very like forceful about how scared they are about everything. And we're going to do, we're going to burn this shit down. Right. And then one of them just straight up calls him Captain Mackenzie. <laughs> like in a super shady way. It could not have been delivered better by Shangela. Like it was shady as hell. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this is like a full on like uh, Redwood. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is the forest. He's yeah. like, what are you going to do, Captain McKenzie? And it's like, oh, shit, balls. Damn, that would burn. Okay, so now we know that everybody on Fraser's Ridge is freaking out and doesn't trust Roger to deal with this problem. So it's stressful. we go back to River Run. And here's where we meet Philip Wiley. <sighs> <laughs> My note here is, Philip Wiley is powder because he looks like powder. <laughs> he totally oh, like wow. Powder. He's covered in powder. It's, yeah. I'm surprised it doesn't like flake off him when he walks. Right. It also reminds me in college, my friends and I thought this was really funny to sing um, It's Hard Out Here for a Fop. It's, uh, <laughs> it's hard out here, here for, for a, fop. a Fop. That's all I can think of when I see him. We get a little bit of backstory into him because Governor Tryon's wife, Missy, or whatever her name is. I'm going to call her Missy because yeah. she feels like she should be. Missy's like, oh, here's Philip Wiley. I know he really likes you, Claire. He just came back from France, and he couldn't get enough of all those French airs and ways. Look at his jacket. Look at his wig. Look at his... So basically, he came back a super fop and a rake. A rake. A rake. <laughs> What's a rake? Um, just kind of a, a lad. A guy, like a, a, a dude, a fucking likes thought, to get with the ladies. Yeah, it's like a oh. fuckboy that is thought of with like benevolent amusement. Mm-hmm. A oh. rake. Oh, he's such a rake. Oh. I'm, is this like a current term or like an no, old it, term? No, but it's been around for a long time. Okay, well, I'm just learning a lot right now. Thank you. So, okay, uh, <laughs> have you ever read um, Pride and Prejudice? Uh, well, I should put it on my list. I need to read Wick, more. Wickham is a rake. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, Wickham is like the platonic ideal of a rake. Usually somewhat handsome, sometimes independently wealthy, maybe not, though. Okay. Very charming. Yeah. And very about getting into gals' pants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A rake. Okay. A rake. I love this. This is But see, here's the thing with me and Philip Wiley. I can understand that a rake doesn't have to be, like, super hot, but this guy's, like, jaw has... There's something going on with the proportions of his face... Yes. ...that really distracted me and put me off my dinner. I wonder if maybe that mole was supposed to distract from his face, you know? It's like instead of having, you know, contour. Right. I I hate to say it, but that he's like a catcher's mitt. It's like his face is so big. It's so wide. And he's not like a fat person or a large person. He's just, his face is just yeah. huge. 
And then it's accentuated with all this white powder. And I'm just like, nope. Mm-mm. So he's very obviously enamored with Claire. And I guess they met previously at the dinner party i think she says yeah and maybe jamie wasn't there or he met jamie independently or didn't know they're married anyway jamie's out of the picture for now and you can tell that philip wiley is really trying to get in claire's knickers (laughs) he has this wonderful business where he like is pretending not to look at her while snaking across the lawn like oh i was just walking over to admire this branch and then like looks back at claire and like keeps oh yeah it's amazing and the governor governor tryon's wife missy (laughs) i'm just gonna call her missy tryon missy tryon (laughs) madam missy tryon uh continues to try to like distract him but is not successful so he ends up over there talking to claire and is asking her questions whatever and she's kind of like looking at him and then he mentions something here we go philip wiley tells us that he has a connection he knows someone who can get you the finest silks and the most beautiful laces and uh guess who it is stephen bonnet oh right so claire is all like Oh, oh, he knows how to find Stephen Bonnet. Well, let's draw this out, and uh, I'm going to put myself right in this guy's sights and try to figure out how to get to Bonnet so we can kill him or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Oh, man. And then we, uh, wait, he asked her to wait. Oh, no, that's later. Sorry. I'm, I'm looking at my notes, and it's very, it's all over the place. Okay. So Roger has come up with a plan back on Fraser's Ridge. He's going to smoke out the bugs. Smoke them out. Hey, man. Smoke them out, man. So they're putting together these, like, um, buckets of goose shit. (laughs) And, sorry, goose Goose fat. fat. And, Mm -hmm. goose yeah, goose fat and, like, horse turds. There really is a lot of shit in this. Oh, it's, and it keeps going. Jesus. So what did I call it? Uh. Smudge buckets. That's, that's what he called them. Because <laughs> you can set that on fire and put it inside like a teepee of grass or wheat or whatever to kind of get the smoke going. And then you get like big columns of smoke. And he's teaching everybody how to use them. And they're putting them at perimeters and trying to figure out how the wind blows and blah, blah, blah. They're going to smoke it out. I have a business idea. Yeah. <laughs> Since they're called smudge buckets, I'm thinking about all the like problematic white ladies who like burn white sage to the point where like the indigenous communities who actually need that for real reasons can't access it as easily anymore. Mm -hmm. So what if we like through really clever SEO and like beautiful, like pink millennial branding, just (laughs) we're selling smudge buckets and just send them smudge buckets with some sort of like really, <laughs> with some sort of like, like really scolding letter about like stop this. There's well, no, there's literally no change to building a smudge bucket. It's still uh, goose shit and grease. Exactly, yeah. we're gonna send them shit and grease. And I'm not gonna have a problem there because Sophie's turds have just been epic lately. So <laughs> yeah, my dogs can contribute. Yeah, totally fine. I'm uh, into this. I also yeah. have been keeping a bucket of bacon grease for like 20 years. So I'm in. <laughs> great. I think that thing is a great business idea. We're gonna make some money off of this we are Mm -hmm. some gullible gullible dollars oh gosh uh so we uh oh this is where we find out that wiley knows bonnet and then he he's like he says something to claire about her husband or her if she knows somebody she's got a person in her life or whatever and she's got her hands up so you know she's wearing two rings right frank's ring and jamie's ring Mm. and he's like she says something about my husband and he says, which one is he, silver or gold? Ugh. Ugh. Gosh. And I'm like, kill this guy. Yeah. I hope this guy gets a punch in his powder face. I hope this guy takes a powder. <laughs> I hope this guy, I could go on. <laughs> <clears throat> and then we've got the scene of them smoking the meadow. And it's a lot of smoke. And then we go back to River Run and we find out that Someone Philip Wiley has... Yeah, he's got... Well... <laughs> I'm just waiting for that because of the smoke out. I'm sorry. I forced a choke. My bad. No, it's all good. Yeah. I, I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire uh, 
decides now that she knows that he knows Bonnet that she's really going to draw him out, right? So she takes him inside to let him taste some of Jamie's aged whiskey to like, here's a business opportunity if I was to know somebody in smuggling who could help me move some of this delicious whiskey. Uh, you know, she's trying to find out. And he wants to show her something. So he takes her to the uh, stable to show her his new prize racehorse, Lucas. And Lucas is a beautiful animal. I yes. No shit. Yeah. He's like, Amelia, when you were a girl, did you read Black Beauty? Yes. He's Black Beauty. He is Black Beauty. I read yeah. Black like, Beauty. Really excellent, like, forehead curls. Yeah. yeah. He's just a big, strong black horse. He's very lovely. And it seems pretty nice. And Claire's immediately smitten, you know, like, oh, I love this horse. He's so sweet. And then Philip Wiley tries to get in there. He comes up from behind and like smooches her neck, and oh. you can tell that he thinks he's being the most dashing man in the world. Right. She shoves him off, and where does he land, Janine? In some goddamn horse shit. That's right. Fuck yeah. And then he starts freaking out and is about to come at her, but luckily at that moment, Jamie shows up. Oh man, thank God. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Jamie gets him out of there. After he says, she plied me with drink and begged, practically begged me to take her where oh she stood. God. Right. And of yeah. course, Jamie knows that that's bullshit. So yeah. Jamie's like, oh, God, okay, get this guy out of here. And, like it com- and it comes so easily to him to say that, that, you know, this isn't, I mean, of course, it's not the first time, but like there's no. something that's just so disheartening. Yeah. Um, to yeah. They're going to believe me. They won't believe her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Beyond. And then my next note is only one word, but it's all capital letters, and it does have three exclamation points after it, and it is SWARM! Oh, shit. <laughs> Back at Fraser's Ridge, they're all busily huffing and puffing away, and there's just a few locusts, and then they look up because the sky gets dark, and it's because it's a literal swarm. Oh, man. Like, it's scary. It's kind of gross. Yeah. Allison and I were both like, and like, itchy. But it works. The smoke works. They fly over. So Roger did a good thing. He did find out a little bit later. Yeah, Roger, we find out a little bit later that everybody's like, yay, Roger, on the ridge, which is something new and unexpected. Ridge Roger, man. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I didn't mention about Mr. Powder is that he is very into gambling. That's part of the rake situation, too. Okay. He, he loves a game of whist. Okay. And Jamie finds this out about him, and he's going to use that to his advantage to try to fucking find out about Bonnet, or I don't know. It's a manly pride thing, too, I think. Yeah. And it's dumb. But he is like, I'm going to challenge you to one game of whist, but I'm going to, if I win, I get that horse. And Powder's like, uh, it's way more than this, whatever paltry purse Jamie had thrown down. So Jamie goes outside, and then it cuts to Claire freaking out. A lot of pacing, a lot of pacing. He wants both of her wedding rings to bet. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, I mean, that's kind of crappy. Two, that's not his. Well, he, well, he doesn't, right, because he just says, I need your, your ring from Frank. I need your gold ring. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but, 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 and we know that's very important to her. But also I'm like, um, I guess I just don't really have that kind of a relationship with my own wedding ring. So I don't give a shit. But I was like, she really like reacts very, very strongly to this in a way that really surprised me. But then his, his Jamie's attitude is a little bit cavalier too. Like, don't you trust me? Right. It's like not his though. Like I know. And he's gambling. <laughs> yeah. So there's always the chance he could lose. So I get that part of it, but she just seems really, really mad. Yeah, because she thinks that like, oh now Jamie finally gets to get rid of Frank once and for all. As if they've talked about Frank recently. Like who like right. I don't know. So it seemed it, it this scene seemed a little out of place or like mm-hmm. maybe maybe it wasn't a little overdone. Written exactly right or something. I don't know. It just didn't feel right. Uh, yeah, but then Janine, she gets so upset that she's like, well, if you're going to take this one, then you might as well take, take the other both two. Both of them. So she gives yeah. him both rings and stomps off. She flounces off. And she flounces off through like some of the out, it's like a little like exterior 
area of the party, so they're not under the veranda, but it looks like a fucking Lumineer set. Imagine, like, there's a gigantic, centuries-old tree with majestic limbs, and then all this, like, <laughs> gilded, like, these gilded end tables and, like, um, like brocade sofas and stuff. And, like, you could just see the Lumineers in here being like, hey, wedding. Like, it's insane. <laughs> Jocasta is so rich that she can put really fancy furniture in unmowed grass on the riverbank. Just, just to hang out. Just to hang out. God, what a day that's going to be. So, <laughs> back to the ridge. Everything's coming up, Roger. Everyone loves him. Um, somebody calls him Captain McKenzie and actually means it this time. Nice. So, Roger did a good job. Bree, I also don't want to discount Bree because she was very helpful in all this. And they both, you know, being from the future, knew a little something. So, they they worked kind of as a team. But, of course, everybody in the Ridge is looking to the man, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that situation has resolved itself in the positive. They're cool. And then we come back. This is the scene. This is it. This is the scene. This is the one scene in this episode. The opening scene in the carriage was very good, but this is this is it. It's that evening. Uh-huh. Jocasta has retired to her chamber. Uh-huh. She's sitting at her vanity. <clears throat> Pardon me. Just thinking about life. I don't know. And does uh, uh, he comes in? Her her manservant comes in. What's his name again? Ulysses. Thank you, Ulysses. God, he's awesome. He comes in and he's like, uh, you have a visitor. And she's like, no, I'm not taking any visitors. And he's like, uh, you want to take this one. And guess who it is? Pamplemousse. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Looking good. Silver Foxy. How the hell did he get in there with anybody seeing him? I don't ask questions. Because he's a fox. He's sneaky. Mm-hmm. So we've got a very, a pretty long extended scene. I'm going to say it's longer than four or five minutes of just the two of them talking. That's pretty, that's pretty substantial. Very, very good. And the upshot of it is, is that Murtaugh is upset that she's getting married. Now you remember she gave him the opportunity to tell her this feedback in the fairy hut. (laughs) Yeah. And he chose not to. So he instead waits until the night before the nuptials to come and just lay this all out for her, right? He has a flair for the dramatic. It's not great. Yeah. And Jocasta is like, too late, butthole. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah, I'm sorry. Things have been put into plan. This is about my safety and my security, and you had a chance, and you didn't take it, and nuts to you, bud. But there's also very clearly physical longing and, mm-hmm. and love here. Yes, the closed captioning just said breathing heavily <laughs> <laughs> as I scroll through. <laughs> and does he say I love you first before she tells the story? Let me see. Because I'm also just like trying to click from cell to cell so the episode doesn't play in my headphones. Right. So I'm like, Ooh. I think he says, she tells him that she wants... Uh, she doesn't need a man who is more enamored with his cause yes. than with his marriage, than with his life. That he, he, She needs a man who's more about like security and safety now and not somebody who's always going to get caught up in the next revolution mm-hmm. mm. because that's the kind of man that Murtaugh is, is that he will always be fighting for something. Yeah, man. He's revolutionary. You believe you're going to change the world. Right, she and says, she's yeah. just like, I after my last one... And what happened there, I don't need that again. Which she explains to him in great detail as if he's never heard heard this story story before. Which I may not understand. How how long have they known each other? Yeah, maybe It feels like maybe she doesn't like to talk about it. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, so she's... She essentially is like, I, you know, I would, but I can't. You, not the type of man you are. I can't be with you. And he does say he loves her. And she's just like, well, that's very nice. But mm. but what I'm saying is, is that I can't do this scene justice because Maria Doyle Kennedy's monologue is so, so good. good. I feel like this may be something I should, I should watch. I, yes. would watch. I would watch the scene. It's about three quarters of the way through the episode, kind of towards the end. Okay. If you, if you fast forward until you see just the two of them just start over at the beginning of that scene. Okay. 
Uh, it's very good, but it ends with him leaving. Oh God! So we know that that's over for now. Oh, oh but what did he leave behind? What was the gift? Someone's heart. Wasn't it like a sporin pen? Wasn't it like a whatever? I don't know the technical term for the family crest pen. Yeah. And he's a, is Myrta like a smithy now? Is that a thing I remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. he had become a blacksmith. So my read on this is he has his little whatever fancy pen. Um, and so when he comes in with his gift at the beginning of the scene, he just puts this silver version of that pin that's like on a little piece of ribbon or something into her hand. And you see her like reach up to feel the pin on his chest and recognize that like I'm guessing that he made her a copy mm-hmm. out of silver, which I think is very romantic. Also, if anyone on Etsy would like to make one of those for me, I will buy one so hard. <laughs> Business opportunities. You didn't know capitalism was going to be so important in this episode, but it is. We are, and we're in a, we're in a time where everyone's learning new skills and hobbies. So someone exactly. might actually I mean, learn how to do that. Get on that smithy and <laughs> learn to be a smith. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, and shoot us a message because we're serious. And yes. he, when he walks out, he leaves it on the edge of her table, like I'm leaving it here, because oh, she tries to turn it down, right? Uh, so that scene was the best scene in the episode, bar none. Bar oh, none. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish this entire episode had been half just that scene <laughs> and half the shit at the Ridge. Yeah, Ridge yeah. Roger and... Yeah, I kind of wish that the Philip Wiley shit would not have happened at all because mm. it's essentially kind of useless except it's going to get us closer to Bonnet, whatever. So here comes the strong sexual content. And let me tell you, weak sauce. Weak sauce. Do they have a rating for weak sexual content? No, they don't. But this was definitely weak. (laughs) There was one hot thing about it, in my humble opinion, that I will dive into a little bit here. But Claire's back in the stable for some fucking reason this night. She loves that pony. Oh, yeah. She wants to hang out with Black Beauty. That's right. Yeah. And so Jamie comes stumbling in. He's a little drunk. And he says something to her, and she's like, you're drunk, and, like, turns away from him. And so we're in, like, full romance novel trope right now, and it's kind of disgusting and terrible. And then he says, you're, she tries to walk past him to get out of the stable, and he grabs her, and he's like, you're more woman than something something. What does he say? I will have that for, oh, I, I clicked too far, and I got too panting. We're not panting yet. Okay, hold on. Um, you think too much from your own time. I'm going to just play this quietly in my headphones. Oh, uh-huh, wait for it. Sometimes need reminding that, come on, Jamie, this, this dramatic pause is not going to work for this podcast. Ah, you're a woman like no other Sassanac, but don't forget, you're still a woman. Oh. And you think too much from your time. Yes. In other words, don't forget in this time, you can't act like that all the time dude and then she just hauls off and slaps him in the face yeah she just looks at him and fucking whacks him and we once again as i noted already we're in pure romance novel territory here and it's really disheartening and then he grabs her and it's a let's fucking the stable up against the wall situation (laughs) so first of all I don't understand who it is that thinks that the standing up, doing it shit is hot. Anybody? I mean, uh, I think that's for dudes. Yeah. It yeah. might be. Yeah. This is very male gaze. Because it's awkward and stupid, and I don't want my husband to be distracted trying to hold up my entire body weight while he's boning me. Yeah. Like, right? Oh. Yeah, this is coming from my perspective of like not experiencing that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Katrina Buff Buff weighs about 98 pounds soaking wet, so maybe it's not a problem. But it's just like, I don't don't get it. It's never been a satisfactory arrangement for me. So this is not hot. And it's quick and dirty, which is interesting. And I like that they did that because they don't do that enough. And also keep saying, I want you to look down while I take you. That part was okay. That part was okay. I don't mind a little dirty talk. That was fine. But this, I just, I need my Slack channel and my Facebook peeps to tell me why I should be at all excited about standing up doing it. Ever. And also, like, I don't know, there's, there's a whole thing about, 
you know, dominance and submission that is very personal to every couple, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. But also this whole scene is I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. I'm so mad at you that I have hit you. But now let's try to have a like sexy game of who's going to submit. I'm going to try to win by telling you to look down. That's true. Which I'm not yucking your yum. I think I was just still so like, oh my God, she hit him. They're at the hitting phase of this fight and now they're fucking maybe mm-hmm. in my life just is too boring. Maybe that's... <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know what? Oh, here's the problem. I was thinking too much from my own time. Yeah. Oh. You're too much of your own time. Yeah. You're still a woman, Amelia. I am oh. still a woman. Oh. Yeah. So strong sexual content. Yeah. Weak sauce. Weak that's sauce. Pot, you heard it here. Please take that one to the bank, mustache. <laughs> Janine, did we tell you that Jamie also had the rings? Uh, oh, yeah. He brought them back. So oh, obviously good. he Clo- won his whist game. Okay. Close that loop. Yeah. Good for him. Whatever. So uh, he won the horse. So Lucas is theirs. Black Beauty comes to Fraser's Ridge. We're hey, cool with that. Nice. And part of the be- uh, bet was that he would also win an introduction to Stephen Bonnet. Fuck. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> as we as we know, they already know each other, so that'll be coming up sometime soon. Yeah. yeah. Then we get the very now. There's two little scenes here at the very end that, once again, there were just problems with the way this episode was plotted, in my mm-hmm. humble opinion. Um, so we flash to what looks like a tea house or coffee shop or something in the town near River Run. And Billy Boyd is in there having a cup of tea. Second, second lunch. Second lunch. Somebody comes in to join him. It's Stephen Bonnet. Why? Whatever. Billy Boyd knows this dude. And Billy Boyd's got a choice piece of information for old Stephen Bonnet. Well, they met at Women's Fight Club, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, He's got a choice piece of info, which is that his son is going to inherit River Run. Oh. Oh. Right? Because we're Mm -hmm. not 100% certain whether or not that child is Rogers or Stephen Bonnet's. But Boyd, suddenly I'm just like, that's the way you open up on this? Oh. Right. (laughs) My note was, why Billy Boyd? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No. So now Stephen Bonnet knows that his maybe kid is going to stand to inherit this enormous estate, and so great, we're going to be treated to whatever that means. I'm. We all know that he's got to die, right? Eventually, he's got to die. Like well, Jamie's got to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, mean, that's got to happen. How's right? that Dixie Chick song go? Earl has to die, and Bonnet has Earl's to die. Earl's got to die. <laughs> <laughs> and then the very last little button of a scene is Jamie going over to Governor Tryon's. Tent? Does he have like a glamping tent set up I, at yeah, River I Run? He's, I think he's glamping. There's oh yeah, the furniture in this one. I'm just here for the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, writ large, that's all the only reason I'm here. Uh, it's, bring, yeah. it's a good flavor for this for us. Though. This major, major glamping. Yeah. So not only is he glamping, but he is getting his that coat sewn onto him right now. Like there's a tailor in there, like tailoring his red coat, and it's this really cool scene where we get to see how they attach the sleeves. And Jamie comes in and he sees him getting all suited up and he's like, what? And Governor Tryon's like, well, war is about to be on, so go get your dudes. Oh, shit. And that's kind of it? Yeah. Oh, and that's where they end? Yeah. Oh. Well, except that he says he's moving to New York because he's going to be the governor of New York now. That's when we find out that that's why he's moving to New York because he got the governorship. Oh. But that's kind of it. That's it. And it was dumb. This does feel like a really weird episode. It wasn't as bad as the ending of last week's episode with the fucking 60 millionth voiceover. But it was weird and felt not right. Like this episode episode felt very stop, start, stop, start. As I said, I'm kind of frustrated with the way they're they're telling the story in these tiny little chunks instead of giving things room to breathe because... Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, what Allison said about this book and the reason why she really likes it, even though a lot of people may not like it as much, is that it takes small scenes and lets them go forever. Yeah. And I think that's cool, and I wish we would get a little bit more of that. But mm. it doesn't look like we're gonna. it's going to be that way. All right. So, Amelia, do you have any final thoughts before we get into the uh, all the uh, oh. TGP and all that shit? Um, some stray observations. 
Mm-hmm. I found it particularly upsetting when Brie and Roger were celebrating, like, yay, the smoke worked, but they were still, like, actively handling dung, and they just, like, go for it and, like, plant one on each other. Like, they're, you know, there's fecal matter on, like, please stop. Maybe this is just a sign of the times we live in now. We're just like, it's infected. Don't touch them. It's also there from a time where they, penicillin wasn't, you know, a bunch of bread and jars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Um, I have a question for next week for Allison. So, Janine, I'm going to say it right now. Okay. And then remind me. Okay. What... Where did she get the surgical tools? Oh, good question. Remember that. Yeah. Because when I thought about it, I was like, oh, she brought it back with her. But then Kevin was all like, what about the shipwreck? Oh, didn't she get them at the end of, um, after the boat season? Like Maybe. It was, it was a gift. I just need, oh, yeah, that's right. Did Jamie make them for her? Did he have Murtaugh make them or something? I think, yeah, I think that's what, because like she got like a doctor's kit. And I, right. I just need to remember how this went down. Yeah, and I remember. I remember. I actually remember the episode where we talked about that, and it was like he he. This was pretty early on, actually. So maybe it's okay. why we don't remember it because he gave her a doctor's kit and it had all the things you'd need to be a doctor, which I'm assuming at that time would include surgeon's kit, a surgeon's kit. But it did have a syringe in it. Oh, that's curious. Because she gave a penicillin shot to the kids in the butt, right when she took off their um, tonsils yeah. last episode, oh, and yeah. I need. To- yeah, I need to know where that fucking syringe came from. That must that had to be her bum kit. But she couldn't the shipwreck. Like everything was gone. But what didn't she like like our complaint about that was that she was wearing all that stuff. Oh yeah, that's true. Maybe it wasn't her bum roll. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry I, I'm sorry I derailed this, but I do want to ask Allison that yeah, next she week might, for an she interview. She never confirm that. I'm going to be impressed if that was if I got most of that. That's cuz I'm That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah good I'm job. Usually quite All right, so Amelia, sorry I derailed you. Go on. It's okay. Um, I'm going to give you two related thoughts. I'm going to pause in between them for your editing pleasure. (laughs) Okay. Something we didn't tell you about the altercation when the fop made his move on Claire in the barn is that after Jamie has kicked him out and thrown his little fancy cane at him and he's whimpered away into the day, um, we turn back around and we see that his little stick-on vanity mole has transferred itself from Fop's face to Claire's neck. Oh, really? That's, oh, that's fucking, that's funny. That's ridiculous. Which reminds me, um, I, I did like one of my first like big kid plays in high school. I used to do like children's theater, which I think you should probably easily infer from just the way that I behave at all times. Um, but for that first like big kid play, I got to wear like fake eyelashes to be Elvira in Blythe Spirit. And my ninth grade <laughs> boyfriend- Is that the medium? Is that the medium? It's the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Perfect. that's not the medium. It's the ghost. Okay. I was, yeah, I was like the, the first hot ghost. Um, so I had these fake eyelashes. I'd never worn them before. And I was dating a fellow who came from a very um, conservative family, like a very, very conservative family. Um, and I don't think we even really made out very much like in the great job. See ya. Here's a rose. But I got like an email or oh no, I got an, an instant messenger, an AOL instant messenger oh, from man, him. Be like, hi. So I've had, I've had to do some explaining to my parents because for some reason your fake eyelashes were stuck to my coat when I got home. And they just like, I think thought that we had gotten like freak nasty. <laughs> <laughs> And so I just saw that mole, and that's the only time I felt bad for the fop. That's so awesome. <laughs> that's all. That's feel free to cut that one. But that's, no, that's, I love it. No, that's great. <laughs> that stays. Oh great. man, AOL Instant yeah. Messenger. Mm-hmm. All right. So, who do you think was the golden pample moose of this episode? I Jacosta. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. Um. That scene, both of them were very good, but she she obviously was doing most of the emotional work in that scene. I, I, he was too, but that monologue, just her monologue, oh my god, was the best thing in the entire episode. Exquisite. So, well, for, and, she, for, and it sounds like mm-hmm. she had to like deal with. She had to portray both this like I've made my choice and like the pain of not being able to make it me go back on it. Like that's complicated. Right. That's a tough thing. Yeah. And yeah. all all Murta had to do was walk in and be like, I'm staking the ground. I want you back. And that's right. like a little less complicated, but still intense, you know? So, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Maria Doyle Kennedy, you are the golden pample moose of the week. Allison put this thing in the list of things to do. TGP slash TPP. I don't remember TPP. TPP. The platinum? 
The no platinum, platinum pample mousse. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, then I'm going to give the golden pample mousse. I'm going to give the platinum pample mousse to Jocasta, and I'm going to give the golden pample mousse to. Hmm. Who would you give it to, Amelia? Well, I'm trying to. Now that you pointed out that you know, Jocasta was really doing the emotional lifting in that scene with her and Murda. Like, I guess I'm not going to give it to. Not going to give the pample mousse to the pample mousse himself. Mm-hmm. In which case, I'm going to give it to Black Beauty. Oh, yes. Perfect. Black Beauty stayed very, very calm while Jamie and Claire fucked in front of him. Like, Like, great job, buddy. Good job. Right next to him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, good job. All right. Mm -hmm. So, the Golden Pample Moose is Black Beauty, also known as Lucas. And the Platinum Pample Moose is Jocasta. Um, And then we got to do the scales. Mm -hmm. So, on a scale of doing it, we got Ken Burns Baseball, which is always and forever the low. And then we've got nine and a half weeks <laughs> at the Ooh. very top. So what do you think, ooh, Amelia? Ooh, this I always struggle with this, even when I listen, <laughs> listen along. I'm like, what would I say? I don't know. Um, I'm going to put... Mm, I was just so nonplussed by that doing it scene. Again, mm-hmm. come at me, Slack. I'm finally one of you now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put it at washing your face and hands after handling dung and then really just like tonguing like that's that's okay. kind of where i'm thinking but like right. yeah <laughs> i like that so and uh i might give it outbreak then <laughs> do people do it in outbreak uh i mean there's a lot of sexual tension through all those that hazmat seems, suits it just seems dumb <laughs> all right uh costumes hey this was actually a very good costume episode because yes. we got to see all of Jocasta's shit. We got to see uh, Stephen Bonnet's like fancy coat of Philip Wiley and all his fop shit, right? Yeah. And like a lot of like fine embroidery, even on like men's coats. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So this, this one was pretty high. So if we have a low costume bar, which is like mm, the Dow of Steve. And then, we, <laughs> and then we have a really high costume bar, which is like, I think Allison used Amadeus recently, so I won't Ooh. use Amadeus, but, uh, um, let's use the new version of Emma, which I oh, watched yes. three oh. times in a 48 hour period and it's a fucking delight. Oh my God. Is it that good? Scotty said it was so good. It's so good. Okay. We're going to watch it. Yeah. You have to pay $20 for it right now. But when I told Neil, I was like, that's like taking two of us out to the movies. Exactly. So it's kind of worth it. Yes. God, okay. the world's weird now. God. Yes, it is weird. It's so weird. So, uh, new hmm. cute candy fucking Emma to Dow of Steve. I got to get closer to the Emma. I'm going to go Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Because I'm... it's all party wear. It's all like fancy, foppery, all that shit. That's what I'm going with. I like that. I'm going to go Downton Abbey the movie. Ooh. Which was so stupid, but so much fun to look at. Oh, yes. <laughs> Downton Abbey is always fun to look at. Yeah. Oh, All right. And then did you get up to get a beer? I would say I'm going to put this on a scale from Ken Burns baseball to... Um, Last Mohican. Psycho. Because you don't want to get up once Psycho hits a certain point because Jocasta starts talking. (laughs) (laughs) But the rest of the episode, I feel like I really could have gotten up and left because if I got up to go get a beer and came back two minutes later, we would be back in that location anyway. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to give it Psycho. Do you got anything? I'm trying to think of pop culture that I enjoy that plays so hot and cold. And I feel like the thing that plays so hot and cold is Outlander. I can't, I can't, I can't can't define it with its own word. I'm going to give this episode of Outlander an episode of Outlander. (laughs) Uh, If it's hot and cold, I'll give it the day after tomorrow. Oh, there you go. Get it. Because it's dealing with like climate change. Weather movie? Yeah, it's a weather movie. and it's like, good. And I actually really like Dennis Quaid in it, and I think it's pretty awesome, but it's also not a very good movie. Yeah. 
I think I saw that fucking thing in the movie theater. That's a movie that I got. Uh, I had a bunch of. I had. I got robbed when I was in college or burglarized, I should say. And uh, yeah. I got an insurance payment, and that was one of the films I bought with my insurance payment. Nice. Really high quality Walmart film. Sorry, you got robbed. Yeah, you know, um, I was a sophomore. I wasn't making a lot of good choices. So. Bummer. Yeah. Oof. All right. So here's the time when we do the shit that I'm really, really bad at. Thank you. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at podlandercast.facebook.com. I don't know. Twitter at podlandercast. We both, um, man. This is, can, like, this is where Allison shines at this part. She's yeah. really, she really good so at this. And so I've never awesome. really had to be good at it, so I just really stink at it. But she, she did list this part out for me, which is very helpful. So if you would like to, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podlanderdrunkcast. The minimum level is only a dollar a month, and for three bucks you get access to the Slack channel, which Amelia just recently joined. Amelia, please evangelize the Slack channel. <laughs> Listen. You remember that Onion article? I think it was even just a headline that came out maybe like six years ago where the headline was along the lines of group of women spend night out on the town affirming the living shit out of each other. Yes. (laughs) This is what the Slack channel is. Just everybody's just affirming. Everybody is doing some riffs. Everybody's sending some gifts. It is fucking delightful, especially in these times. Yeah. Yeah. So that's only $3 a month. So I think that's worth it. Plus, of course, the other Patreon perks are that like you get the episode earlier than the normies and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But uh, specifically, thank you to all the patrons. Really, you guys have been great. The Slack channel has been so helpful in this weird time. And uh, especially we would like to thank Stella Nutella, Zena Perez, Lola B, Ashlyn Berger, Misty Ojepi, Amanda Newton, Jen Lander Junklin, Trish McCrary, Lori McGuire, Katie Kirshner, Beth Locke, Alicia Glynn, Liz Penniston, Philip Nako, Heather Moore, Mary the Falling Statue, <laughs> Amanda Smizmas, <laughs> Whitney Harrington, Chrissy Shively, Maria, the enigma known as Maria, <laughs> Emma Lofald, Samantha Smith, Jenna Polkowski, Rachel Townsend, Steph Peterson, Tara Lucchino, Catherine Marshall Eastman, Chantal Salters, Mary Lumpkin, Crystal Nanavati, Ann Gibson, Ruth McCormick, Kara Marlowe, Flourish Root, Friday Payton, Kathleen Moniz, Hi, Hi Mom, Viv Pickles, and our Slacked In Mom, Kiki, The, the Wise. Wise. And we also want to say a special thanks to Dr. J, Tanner Cole, and all the other drunk casters who work in the medical field for everything they're doing to keep others safe. And to Kayla Regan, who's been so supportive of everyone in the Slack channel, get well soon. Please let us know if there's anything we can do. So that's all of our uh, Slack stuff. Thank you all. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's really affirming that people like what we do. Yeah. Uh, any last thoughts, uh, Janine, um, Amelia? I want to. Can I uh, sing us out with a or uh, like? Let me do this last, but uh, I want to okay. turn on my double audio to sing us out. <laughs> okay, but before we do that, yeah, let's let Amelia get your social media handles or oh, pimp yeah. anything or anything you've got going on. Go for it. Oh yeah, I will. Obviously, I don't have any events to promote <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, you don't, we don't know what you're doing on Facebook Live or YouTube. That's, that's true. I am mostly just an Instagram person. I am at Marlo Junior, M A R L O, and then the full word Junior. Lots of dogs, lots of breads happening over there. Uh, a lot of weird quarantine fashion. Just that's that's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come right. get me. Thank you. And for me. Uh, basically all I'm doing is fucking hanging out with my cat and occasionally doing this podcast. And also, as always, I've still got one episode left of Maria solved in the bucket before I have to start figuring out something else to do because <laughs> I can't have anybody over to my house to record. Ugh. All right. Okay. Aaron. Okay. Are you ready? I'm, so, I'm sorry. Janine. Who's Aaron? Yeah. Who, who's that guy? <laughs> uh, oh, Aaron's the other guy on the line. Hey, it's Aaron. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Okay, that was it. All right. Thanks, (laughs) y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.